probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Not only if you write a story at home, you write it, you rewrite it, you send it to your friends to take a look and they edit it. You have the opportunity to keep rewriting, but once you've written a joke and you get up on stage, I cannot rewrite that. I have one chance to say it right. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. Many of my clients tell me that they're stretched too thin with too many demands upon them. They are just worn out. In my brand new webinar, I teach simple and sensible habits that will significantly improve your life now and help you age with vibrance and resilience. But it's important to start now. Don't wait until your body's distress signals go from a whisper to a scream. If you followed me at all, you know I'm not about restrictive diets or boot camps. I believe life can be challenging enough. Let's appreciate our bodies and minds for the miraculous systems they are and take the time to take care of ourselves. Self-care pays big dividends now and in the future. And being well ourselves is the only way we can help those we love. And if you sign up now, I will send you my super zestful aging checklist, which I designed so you have clear guidelines right at your fingertips. The webinar is free. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Stacy Gustafson is an Amazon best-selling author and she just released her second book, Are You Still Kidding Me? She's an inspirational speaker, blogger, and a comedian. As an empty nester and mother of two, she discovered a desire to share her love of laughter. Boy, don't we all need that right now. Through writing and stand-up comedy, getting on stage for the first time at age 50. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thanks for having me. We have just gone through massive tech difficulties, upstarts, uploads, downloads, restarts. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. I mean, we we just like persevered. <laughs> yay, yay us. It was all because of you. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I am so glad to have you on, Stacy, because as I as I described to you earlier, this has become kind of like deathful aging. It's a lot about preparatory stuff for death. It's about existential. Lately, there's just been an awful lot of sort of gloom and doom. And it's nice to, you know, face our mortality. But boy, we have to we have to lighten up um, as well. So I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much. 
So tell me, I'm so interested in your courage to get on stage at age 50 doing stand-up, which sounds to me like a lot of people have a dream when they're doing having an anxiety dream that that's what would happen. You'd be <laughs> on stage with an audience and you're trying to be, you know, entertaining and funny. Can you tell us a little bit about what led to you getting on stage as a comedian in 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 latter middle age? Sure. But they do say that people would rather be in the coffin than speak at their own funeral. <laughs> So uh, what led to me doing stand-up, around age 50, I realized my kids are no longer around. One I still have in college, the other one's been out of the nest for two years working, doing her own thing. And I had also been writing humorous um, essays for the last 10 years. And I thought, you know what, it is time to try something new. And what do I have to lose? Back, wow, back brave woman. When I was first dating my husband, one thing we used, we like to do together is go to stand up comedy. And we had seen Tim Allen way before his TV show Home Improvement. Mm -hmm. And I remember back then thinking, I can do that. I'd like to try <laughs> to do that. Wow. So that seed stayed in my mind. And now I thought, I have the opportunity to try. So I put together a short skit. I had three minutes at open mic night in my uh, town's local comedy club, and I got on stage. I had about 35 other people as my competition, 90% men, under 25, and oh, I won wow. Best Comic of the Month, $25. <gasps> 25 that's a sweet $25, <laughs> though. It, what was the experience like? You, can you give our listeners some sense of like what it feels like? All eyes are on you and people are kind of like, make me laugh. There's a moment up there you're thinking, I think they're hoping I'm going to fall off the stage. <laughs> and then they'd have a real laugh. But <laughs> the key to success at the open mic night was to bring your friends. And I had heard that from the club's manager, I said, what can I, what do I need to do to be successful at this? And she said, bring your friends. So I had reached out mm -hmm. to everybody I know, but everybody said, maybe I'll be there, maybe. And for me, maybe means, no, I just want to shut you up and get you off the phone. Uh -huh. So I called the club and I said, I think I have about 10 friends coming. I'm not positive. Well, 70 people showed up and that was part of my success. <gasps> 770? 7-0. Oh my goodness. It must have felt like a huge support team. It was a huge rush. They were clapping for me and oh my goodness. so grateful. I call that my scratch off the bucket list item. Number one. Wow. And so so you're tell now. It seems to me that if you're up there, you have to remember your jokes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. And like when you're nervous, we often get brain freeze. What, how do you, how do you just, how do you do it? How do you like get through your stuff and remember your stuff and not chew on your tongue? For me, it's nothing but practice, practice, practice. I said it out loud to my husband about a hundred times. I said it in my head constantly all day long getting up in front of the stage 
a weird thing happened. I thought I need to be number four, the fourth person up there. Otherwise, I might just go to the bathroom and then walk out of the, the club. So they said, sure, you can be number four. Well, when they saw that I brought such a big crowd, they put me, I wasn't 10th. I became like 15th or 20th because they needed my oh. people to stay in the club to keep ordering drinks and food. Oh, my god! And they were worried once I went up, everybody would leave. Everyone would leave. It's like you you brought the, the club. You brought yeah. the whole audience. <laughs> so finally, by the time I took my turn, I was no longer nervous. I was just irritated. And that helped me with the stand-up. <laughs> I was just like, let me up here already. Wow, you were you were like uh, at the gate, and you were you were really pushing. So when you were up there, I I'm just so curious about like the I don't know if this is the right term, but like the science or the technical aspects of of telling stories and telling jokes. And we've had some storytellers on before. Is that something you're born with that that timing, or is that something that you have to practice. I think some people are, when I go to a store, I might latch on to, oh my gosh, did you see that lady that was waiting on us? She had that kind of crooked eye and she had terrible breath. I click, I connect with those idiosyncrasies of people and I can mm -hmm. make a story about it where somebody else might just see a lady. So I, you're observant. I'm observant. And my story, I've been writing stories, 700, 1200 word stories for 10 years. And now I decided to take those stories and hone in and make it a joke. And it's so, it's the hardest thing I've ever done to take a 700 word story, make it into 20 word joke that's going to have a punchline, going to kind of build up an arc just like a story, but only a few sentences. So it, it takes practice. And I, I read a lot of books, How to Tell the Perfect Joke. I watch all the comedy on TV. I go to stand-up. I'm, I'm watching and taking notes. Wow. And, You're a student mm -hmm. of, of comedy. Who are your favorites? My favorite comedians, I love Kathleen Madigan. She's mm -hmm. from the Midwest. She's quite popular. She tells very relatable jokes about her parents and another one of my favorite comedians is Wendy Liebman. She lives in L.A. I've had an opportunity to meet her and be encouraged by her to get up on stage. So clean female comedians. You like it. You like it clean. What, what do you use? You say you're very observant, so you might um, pick up on someone's oddities or, or, or strangeness. What, what other materials do you like to use? Uh, let's see. I'm not clear on your question. Like, do you do you talk about your marriage oh. or kids or what's like, what, what are you kind of known for? What's your material based around? I would say I focus on my family. So families, mm -hmm. children, teens, husbands, mm -hmm. a lot. My husband says it's mostly about him, but probably about, <laughs> <laughs> he's an easygoing guy. And I do ask his permission if I think a joke is a little too edgy. Mm -hmm. So he goes with the flow and his name is Mike. And I said, you know what? You're not Mike, my husband. You're everybody's Mike. Aha. Uh -huh. I see. And, and, and so would it be like 
you know, you're having a conversation with him or you're, you're having your coffee and he says something and then you run over to your, your notepad? Oh, yeah. I mean, I put use notes on my iPhone. I have a notepad. I'll write on my hand or a napkin. Yes, I always have something nearby because you will, it will, our brains are not as uh, holding this information as well as you might think. You have to write it down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of being a comic? Honestly, I think I like the attention. I said for once, now I'm with a group of my friends and I get an opportunity to speak. I see. And so had you been kind of a shy person earlier in your adulthood? No, not really. I have had people, which really surprises me, say, you're a comedian. You're so reserved. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really even know that about myself. Mm-hmm. Were you a you were you the kind of kid in in school and class who was a class clown or more quiet then? More quiet for sure. Yeah, more reserved. Observational humor is my thing, and so I am watching, more listening. I think. And and so did it ever get you into trouble in school or or growing up? Uh, using sort of humorous uh, observations with people around you? I would say just the opposite. I think humor got me out of trouble with my parents. My parents are both very funny, have a great sense of humor. And if I could tell a pretty good joke or make them laugh, I really got out of, I'm an only child, I got out of any punishment. I don't even remember being in trouble for anything. So you were kind of, your whole childhood was in developing your ability to do stand-up, basically. Yep. Uh-huh. Do they help you at all with your, um, with your stand-up? Oh, well, they help me with my material 100%. I mean, I get so much off my mom every time I visit. It's just, and my father as well. They're very super extroverts, not afraid to embarrass themselves either. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's it been like for you in terms of the camaraderie uh, among comics? Have you, have you found a group of women sort of around your age that are also doing this kind of art? I have had an amazing experience. Once one of my friends suggested somebody, a comedian, was going to do a fundraiser at my local school's and she needed somebody to be the MC. A friend recommended her, and ever since, we have been best buddies. We call ourselves comedy partners, and we also enlisted another woman, and we have a group we have formed called One Night, Three Women, Too Funny, and we're all over age 50, and we travel through the East Bay, uh, sharing our comedy and raising money for cancer, local schools, art centers. I'm having a great time. Uh-huh. And so it, does it take some travel? Do you have to? I, you're in, in California. <laughs> we, we all agreed. My, I told my daughter, we're taking it on the road. And she goes, where are you going? I'm like, well, East Bay. Across the street. East Bay. <laughs> we're, I mean, the little three towns in my uh, area. Uh -huh, Maybe a little further. Uh -huh. We might go down to Danville. That's 15, 20 miles away. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. 
And have you had to face, I mean, certainly there are people who have, have talked about this. Um, some of the, the, the women in comedy have talked about it not being an equal um, kind of playing field for, for women comics. Is that changing? Do you sense that that's changing these days? Um, when I did the open mic, I felt like I encountered so much vile humor that I wasn't interested in listening to or being part of. So I was grateful to find these two women that have the same sense of humor as I do. Clean comedy is harder to write, but we have also found our audience, which I would say are women and males, but families from age 40 to 70 and beyond. So, and I've no, we have had a sold out crowd to uh, several of our shows. And I think people are craving clean humor. Tell me more about that. That's really interesting, Stacey. You say clean comedy is harder to write. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? What, why so? It, it seems like it's an easy joke to just throw in a curse word and a, people will laugh. And once in a while, I might pop out one dirty word, you know, something mild, and it does get a laugh. But I think if you rely on just throwing in curse words instead of formulating a good joke, it's kind of a cheat. So mm -hmm. I, we pay particular attention to getting a real, what I think is a real joke, and I think people want to hear this. And I think that's why we're getting successful in our area, because people can feel like they can't even go to a comedy club without being embarrassed by the amount of, you know, sexual innuendos or, and dirty words. It, it, and you had said a, a bit earlier that it, it, it was vile. And I'm wondering how it is for you to, to sit there and maybe wait for your turn and hear some of that because often it's, pretty disparaging and insulting to women how do you how do you deal with that I no longer go to open mic night I went once mm. killed it and I I won't go to open mic night we now seek out groups that are interested in our humor and we will run a fundraiser so we're having fun that time that way I, I'm not going out to clubs every day in San Francisco but we have found an audience that likes to listen to us. I see. So you're more in control yes. of who's your audience, who's coming to see you, and it's more in sync with what you want to be doing. Exactly. There are people who are coming to us who want to listen, and we're raising money for their organization. And that's really interesting because that makes me think that you're not making money doing this. We, are, we get paid by the club um, or... We're yes, we are getting paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it doesn't sound like it's primarily about no. you know making big money. The bulk of the uh, money is given back to the charity for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite charity? Right now we, um, we've been work uh, had two successful sold out shows to a local. Art Center, we support that. My kids' high school and grade schools, there's a lot in the area. 
We enjoy mm -hmm. because they're I'm sharing jokes that they can all relate to because it happened at that school. Oh, my goodness. We know the teachers and the community. Mm -hmm. So when you can bring comedy down to the local level, you're going to get a lot more laughs. I can just mention one of the teacher's names and people just break out in laughter. Oh, my goodness. Do you also mentor or teach other up-and-coming comics about your craft? I would share with anybody who wanted to listen, but I think I'm more on the learning level rather than the teaching level. Mm. I feel mm -hmm. like I'm... They say that you really aren't a comedian until you've been doing stand-up for 20 years. Wow. Wow. So you've got a little ways to go. I've got a long ways to go. So my mentor is actually my friend Regina Stoops that first invited me up on stage to be an MC for her show. Mm-hmm. And do you, are you familiar with the comic, and I cannot remember his name, is it Brian Reagan? Yep. And he's, and he's one that I came across. Listen to how random this is. I was doing an online driving, safe, driving safety course. <laughs> um, and they must have hired him to do some of the modules. Uh -huh. And um, that's where I first discovered him. And are you a fan oh, of his? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, we, my husband and I see all the comics when they come into our area. And uh -huh. I've seen him at least twice. And another one very similar is Jim Gaffigan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was really struck by, you know, you saying that the clean comedy is harder because the thing I, well, one of the things that I like about Brian Reagan is that there's not a lot of, you know, it's not lewd, it's not sexual, it's just... It's very creative. Very creative. Yeah, yeah. So where would you like this to take you down the road? Do you, do you have sort of um, plans for your comedy where you'd like to see yourself? There is a larger theater uh, in a local, in, I live in Pleasanton, in a Livermore. There is a larger theater that holds up to 500 people. So as a group, that's our goal to get in there. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, how does it work? Do you propose something or do they reach out to you typically? Well, we have made, we have elected my husband to be our agent. I understand. <laughs> I see. <laughs> they say they don't, we, we've heard that clubs don't like to deal with the comedians because they consider them wasting their time. They would prefer to speak to another person. So my husband really doesn't know the full extent of what this involves, but he works for free. So he, when we, we're going to be able to contact them, say we have now sold out at this other theater and we'd like to get in. And then he would, as our agent, work out the details. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's the funniest thing that's happened to you recently? Uh, once again, every time I'm with my mom, it is nothing but humorous incidences. And as I'm talking to her, I'm like, I'm going to have to write. I'm writing that down. Mm. And recently I was in St. Louis visiting and she just blurts out, I think there's something wrong that Missouri is making all the handicapped deer hunt. And I said, <laughs> what? What? Wait, what? you mean like, like against their wishes? 
And I keep picturing an army of people in a wheelchair, <laughs> hunting, being armed with guns and hunting deer. And I thought, now that is a start of a good story. Oh, my goodness. And as soon as I and got home, I had to, what the heck is she talking about? And I Googled it. And really, it's a kind thing that Missouri's doing. They're setting aside a couple days during hunting season for handicap and their caregivers to be out there deer hunting. Maybe they're ex-military or and they've been injured in some way. And they have... I yeah, see. Yeah, so it was a nice thing. But she kept going, this is just really wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have this idea, you have this image in your mind, uh, sort of sounds like the far side, you know, and and then how does it work? You sit and you say, what would be a good lead up? This would be sort of in the punchline. How, how, does, how does it work technically? So you have this image, you have this idea. I, a lot of my stuff starts with, I might write a longer story and then sharpen that story up and then cut it down to a joke. Or mm-hmm. if I feel like I don't have really enough material to write a short story, I will just start with the joke. So I'll write the joke out. Then I'll say it out loud. Then I'll rewrite it again. Then I'll cut words, maybe add some words. Mostly it's about cutting it shorter. Then I'll say it to some friends, maybe at lunch and see if anybody laughed. It is really nothing but saying it, rewriting, say it out loud, rewrite it. I might do that. I am not kidding you. Even for a very short joke, it could go on for 50 times at least. I remember watching Jerry Seinfeld and he talked about his creative process and he he talked about working on a joke for a year. It's, It's really... I, I don't think those of us who just, you know, are not in the business really appreciate what it takes to to sort of shape it in a way that leads to a great laugh. Can you imagine? It's It can go, a 10-word joke could take, a, yeah, a year to perfect or longer because you might say it to one audience. Maybe I'm saying it to a bunch of teachers. They really get it. And then you go Mm -hmm. to another group and they don't laugh at all. So you have to constantly add jokes, delete jokes, know your audience. And and I imagine that there's this group dynamic that you might have a really warm group uh, or a group that's ready to laugh. Or you may have a bunch of duds that nothing is funny. Fortunately for us, since we've, our groups ask us to perform for their Mm -hmm. organization. I think Mm -hmm. when they find people, uh, when they start uh, asking their friends and other people in the community to come to their event, I think people come to a comedy club ready to open and accept comedy and laughter. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there hasn't been anybody really drug there against their wishes. (laughs) They're pretty loosened up. Yeah, that's, it's, it's like, it seems like it's a whole subculture you know, that only comics really understand what this feels like. I, what, I remember ask, uh, meeting somebody at the nail salon and I said, hey, we have some flyers. You guys go to, I can tell from you guys we're talking, you go to the local school. Um, we hope you can join us at the club. We're raising money for your school. 
And as soon as I left, I walked away and they go, we should do stand-up comedy. <laughs> oh. I think people do think it's easy, but it is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Not only if you write a story at home, you write it, you rewrite it, you send it to your friends to take a look and they edit it. You have the opportunity to keep rewriting. But once you've written a joke and you get up on stage, I cannot rewrite that. I have one chance to say it right. Mm-hmm. And, mm -hmm. and then you have to learn if you bombed, just go into the next joke. You can't mm -hmm. mull that over. So you better have a majority pretty darn good jokes. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of any of the late night comics on, on television? I I do like, um, I used to like David Letterman and Jay Leno. I do like the, um, both the Jimmies. Mm-hmm. I don't stay up. I do stay up late, but I probably don't watch them as much. Mm -hmm. mm. I think it's gone too much of the political bend. And mm. I don't talk about politics at all because I find it alienating. And I don't need to lose anybody that might be interested in hearing my comedy. <laughs> I see. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, our listeners are... Um, you know, in, in our age range, and they are often in the position, finding themselves in the position that you are, that either their kids are about to launch, they've launched, or they've launched and they're, they've come back, um, and they have older parents and, and all of that, sort of the sandwich generation that we're familiar with. And many of them are looking for their next act, What's what's it going to be? I'm not a mom, a full time mom, you know, maybe my career's winding down, maybe I'm changing it, a lot of transitions. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for our listeners about how they might be able to find their next act. I gave a presentation on finding your next act. And what I have to say is, t you need to take a chance. We have made it to age 50. We've lived a lot of life. We know what we want. We know what we like. And I say you just got to go for it. First thing I would do is brainstorm and consider, is there something that you've always wanted to do, but you didn't have the time to try it? Or was there something you've tried and you're ready to re-explore it? S mm -hmm. Something like teach yoga or dance class or play the guitar. Then the next thing I think you should do is explore it and read all about it. Check out the internet, ask your friends. For me, I immerse myself in comedy. I've always listened to comedy and liked comedy, but when I decided this was what I was going to do, I just immerse myself in it. I watch sitcoms, anything on TV, go to the movies, go to watch stand-up, read how to write comedy books. So I would say then explore what it is you want to try and next plan it write down your goals put dates on a calendar when you want to maybe mm. today for instance i think the guitar is the easiest example now take that guitar out of the closet and put it in the hallway so now it's a visible uh indicator hey i want to play that guitar so start mm -hmm. small i'm going to move the guitar out of the closet and then share your idea. I think when you tell people, it becomes real and people kind of make you accountable. So share mm -hmm. your idea. I am going mm -hmm. to learn how to play the guitar. And then, so figuring out your passion starts with 
small movements and then it becomes bigger and it isn't easy but we are only have one life to live mm-hmm. do you ever need to take a break from looking for the humor do you ever need to just say okay um that part of my brain is gonna just go on a holiday for today and tomorrow i'm just gonna do my thing without trying to look for material absolutely not I can't, I <laughs> cannot turn that off. I, I, I can't stop being funny. I think sometimes, you know, if my husband wants to talk to me about something serious, I might have to tune it down a bit, mm-hmm. but that is the only way I roll. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you think it's been helpful for you in times that have been difficult to have this, um, this this part of you that's so alive, the part about finding the humor, has that been a help? Oh, absolutely. I think there's no point in moaning and groaning about sadness. I think there's humor in everything. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to focus, I don't know, look around, look around you. I, I think there's no point in being sad. It's a way, it's just the way you live your life, your whole lens through which you see the world. I try. Mm. Seems like that's become more and more important as things are getting more painful around us. Any other last thoughts, Stacey, you'd like to um, put out there for our listeners? Uh, find, your, find your passion. Uh, Dig deep and re-explore something you've loved to do and you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel happier. I think humor does nothing but bonds people together and manages my stress and anxiety. And I think that's what's called exploring your passion. Mm-hmm. You'll, yeah, you'll benefit. And I think, you know, I look at my life, it's more than half over. How do you want to spend the rest? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, for people who would like to learn more about you, where's a good place for them to reach you? Oh, thanks for asking. My, uh, I post about twice a month on my blog. It's called StacyGustafson.com. Mm-hmm. I post humorous stories and funny people I meet. It's a, a great stress reliever for me, and I hope it would be for you as well. Mm-hmm. And that's G-U-S-T-A-F-S-O-N, and I'll put that in the program notes. Yes. So they can read your blog, and will they also able be able to see if they're on that part of the side of the country where you'll be performing? Yes, I often put where I'm performing. I also have information about I released my second book, Are You Still Killing, uh, Kidding Me? Mm-hmm. You can get information on how to purchase the book through Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I tweet I have all that information. Yeah, My blog is my hub. The hub. Great. Okay. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Stacey. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the world of comedy and the world of female comedy and just have given thought to, you know, what it must be like and what your challenges are. But what it sounds all just such a, a wonderful way of expressing yourself. It has been for me. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.